The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing the Deep Space Nine first season episode, The Storyteller. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stika. Hey, Father Corey. How's it going? And Jimmy Aiken. Hey, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. Folks, be sure to share the podcast with your friends. Help us grow this community and reach more listeners with our fine content. And speaking of fine content, I want to tell you about another show on the StarQuest Network you're sure to enjoy called The Catholics of Oz. They are also Star Trek fans and talk much about Star Trek there. And so you want to check them out uh, wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash Oz. And I want to mention that we have a ton of listener feedback at the end of this episode from our recent discussion of Star Trek Picard. So I'll be sure to share that. Okay, and so this time we are talking about The Storyteller for this DS9 episode. Jimmy, can you give us a recap of what happens? This week, Commander Sisko is negotiating a land dispute between two Bajoran peoples, one of which is led by a teenage girl who is determined to be an unflinching, inflexible leader. With some help from Jake and Nog, she learns how to become flinching and flexible, and she eventually comes up with a promising proposal to resolve the land dispute. Meanwhile, in the A-plot of this episode, Miles O'Brien and Julian Bashir have been summoned to a Bajoran village that is in grave danger. The grave danger is caused by the fact that a local spiritual leader known as the Syrah is dying, and only he can protect the village from a bad cloud special effect that appears for five nights at the end of every harvest. As he's dying, the Syrah appoints O'Brien as his successor and feeds him lines to drive off the cloud effect. But once he's dead, Miles has no idea how to do this again. Soon, the Syrah's former assistant, Hovath, who had failed at being the new Syrah, tells him and Bashir what's going on. The cloud effect is created by an orb fragment. Generations ago, the village was divided by hatred, and the first Syrah used the orb fragment to create the cloud monster and unite the village against it. But when Hovath failed to drive off the cloud a few nights ago, the people lost trust in him, and the Syrah picked O'Brien as his successor. Julian suggests that this was a ploy on the Syrah's part. He set up O'Brien for failure so that Hovath would have to save the day and the people would gain trust in him as the new Syrah. This is exactly what happens. As Miles fails miserably to drive off the cloud effect, Hovath rescues him and Hovath is hailed as the new Syrah. The end. All hail the Syrah. So mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, we, I like it with a nice little uh, uh, Pinot. <laughs> mm. As I keep thinking every time I hear the name Syrah, uh, the wine grape. So uh, first impressions, uh, Father Corey? <sighs> there were stories <laughs> that we've done where I wasn't impressed with the first time I saw it, but my, my later viewing proved this was not one of them. This is not one of them. I, this is... The, the story on the station of, of the, the negotiations was fine. It was a typical negotiation story where, you know, one of the leaders needs to learn how to, how to you know, to actually negotiate, you know, and that's mm-hmm. fine. The whole storyteller thing was just bad. And it is, as you said, Jimmy, you know, <laughs> bad cloud special effects and yeah. Yeah. 
How about you, Jimmy? Well, it's definitely, to my mind, this has always been the the It Shall Not Be Named episode of Deep Space Nine. And I, I it's certainly one of the worst in Deep Space Nine. I don't know that it's the worst. And it's certainly not as bad as some, you know, episodes in other series. Like, this mm-hmm. is... This is not as bad as the last episode of Enterprise. This is not as bad as a night in sickbay in Enterprise. Mm-hmm. This is not as bad as the Warp 10 episode of Voyager. Mm-hmm. But um, but it's not great. <laughs> and and um, the, the whole Syrah cloud monster thing is very contrived. Yeah. You know, there are other obvious solutions like, hey, maybe if maybe... You don't need the cloud monster anymore to keep the village united if you got rid of all the old rivalries. Maybe you can just stop using the orb chip to to generate the cloud monster. Also, the Syrah is not the most. Um, I mean, I know this is another planet with its own culture and stuff, but the, if you think about what the Syrah does, so he's cheating these people. You know, he's making them think they're under grave threat from a monster when really he's in control of the monster mm-hmm. and he's extracting a cushy living from them and yeah. messing with their religious sensibilities and they're giving him beautiful nubile young women to sleep with. Mm-hmm. Yep. So yeah. <laughs> this doesn't make the Syrah seem to be the ideal wise guy. He seems like a cruelly exploitative creep. Yep. So... For me, um, a couple first impressions. One is this actually might have been a better story if the B plot was the A plot and the A mm-hmm. plot was the B plot. And mm-hmm. if you de-emphasized, made the storyteller thing smaller and just a funny interlude for O'Brien's uncomfortable situation, that might have worked better. Um, so so there's that. Apparently, this story was a a pitch for uh, Next Gen originally, mm-hmm. and Michael Piller, one of the producers, kept bringing it out, and everyone kept saying no. <laughs> and so finally, they let him they let him do it for the DS9 for a season, which they all should have just kept saying no. Apparently, it, it wasn't it wasn't as bad as I remember in the one sense, which is mm-hmm. I do like that this is the beginning of the O'Brien um, Bashir relationship. Friendship. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. I did I do like that aspect. And O'Brien is funny in this one. He's dealing with this he's a he's a blue collar lunch pail guy being put into this situation. And that that's a kind of a funny situation to begin with. And so I kind of enjoyed O'Brien's you know uncomfortableness throughout. Mm-hmm. Uh but you're right. There's all these other problems with it. Uh one of the things I I read about this this story is that it's it's seen as being related to is written kind of as being related to Kit Rudyard Kipling's The Man Who Would Be King. I didn't get that. I, yeah, I, I, I guess, don't know. I don't know why. I mean, so that story involves two British soldiers who go AWOL into this land in uh you know in the Afghanistan Kafiristan. Yes, thank you, and end up conning their way into becoming kings and then getting exposed and expelled, which yeah, isn't what happens here. Yeah. N- not at all. Yeah. Right. Uh, but more of the outsiders who would be king, but don't succeed, or I guess. I don't know. Or the, the outsiders that are used to get the guy who really should be the king to right. have the confidence to become the king. 
Right. So um, one of the problems I find with it is that in the A plot, our characters are just along for the ride. Like every the events happen to them. They don't really do anything. They don't solve anything. They don't fix anything. They're just there. The things happen and then they leave. <laughs> mm-hmm. And and that's not a very satisfying story to, to build on. So it's kind of a, you know, so well, I think that's one of the major flaws. And it's implausible that, you know, you've got all the stuff going on. You've got the wind, you've got the, you know, the cloud monster, you've got the, the blinky lights that, that they see to defeat the cloud monster. And yet there's nothing that O'Brien can pick up on his tricorder. There's nothing that mm-hmm. he can, you know, it's just not there basically, which means this is a mass that- hallucination. Well, <laughs> presumably it's because of the profits that that right. it's that's why he can't pick it up on a standard federation tricorder is this is all coming from an orb fragment. Mm-hmm. Right, which all are beyond federation technology yeah. to begin with, I guess. So it's so basically Mike- a mass hallucination. <laughs> yeah. So Michael Pillar's appeal for the story with his pitch was sometimes we make our own monsters so we can defeat them and feel secure in our power in our in ourselves, which again is not a very appealing <laughs> premise to build on. So I think that's another part of the flaw. No, and I've seen Forbidden Planet, and it was much better than this. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I, I was exactly. going to say this sounds like a Discovery episode. Oh, <laughs> by that pitch. Uh, one of the interesting things I I learned about this as I was l- looking stuff up. So in the B plot, we have this character Varys, and she's um, a young a teenage leader of her people who, you know, who she had become leader when her father died at the hands of the Cardassians, apparently. And she's being inflexible to show that even though I'm young, I'm strong like my father was, and you can't take advantage of us. And then there's this whole sort of teenage, you know, romantic tension triangle going on with uh, Jake and Nog and her. Uh, mm-hmm. And the- that was, that was fine, mm-hmm. you know, also, I like uh, Varys's title. She's a tetrarch, and so tetros in Greek means four, and arche means chief. Or and so a tetrarch is a ruler over a fourth, and that's a real title. Uh, mm-hmm. Some of Herod the Great's sons had the title tetrarch after he um, after he passed on to his reward. Mm-hmm. Um and so I like I like it when they pull in something from actual Earth history like that. Mm-hmm. Um, How, however, the the costuming is all wrong for uh, Varys and and her interlocutors. They're called the her people are called the Paku, and there's this other people called the Navat. And um, Major Kira tells Cisco that there's this saying that the people are the land. And these people are from one of the harshest lands, so expect them to be really harsh people. And they're not. You've yeah. got a mm-hmm. you got a rebellious teenage girl, and that's about it. But they're and she's not even that bad. She's just kind of a jerk. And yeah. and their costumes are all wrong. If they're like from, you know, the Waziristan Badlands in under Al Qaeda control or something, mm-hmm. you know, they should they shouldn't be waltzing around in pajamas like everybody else. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, the actress. By the way, the actress who plays Varys was twenty three when mm-hmm, when mm-hmm. this filmed. So she's much older than uh, than the, the Jake uh, the uh, the actor who plays Jake and um, Zurich Lofton. Yep. 
Although uh, Aaron Eisenberg, who plays Nog, was also older than he mm-hmm. played. So uh, it's kind of funny to, to see that. Um, and that's that's pretty common in casting yeah. because kids are n- generally not good actors. <laughs> right, right. Um, so the and so the, the the dispute. I want to talk a little about the B plot first, and then we can go back to the A plot. But just because get the B plot out of the way, the dispute is over this border. They have this treaty that says the border between our lands is the river, but the mm-hmm. Cardassians diverted the river and gave the Paku, this girls, the Tetrarchs people more of her neighbor's land and the neighbors say no we want our land back and she says no you can't have it the the border is the river yeah so it's what- like dude, dude this is why you never use geophysical markers you use <laughs> geophysical coordinates yeah. right right because that's the thing is, is i mean what's your opinion is should the border move with the river well is, if and- that's what the treaty says well, and here, here in the United States, they do use things like rivers as the borders between the states, but it's always specified of the the location, the center of the river at this time. Right. So in 1875, when this state was established, where the center of the river was, that's where the border is. So then you get things like a little bit of, you know, the state of Illinois is all on the east side of the Mississippi River, except one little enclave. That's on the west side because of a point, an earthquake, where the Mississippi River flipped yep. from one side of that town to the other. So, and so that's a part of Illinois to this day, even though it's on the west side of the Mississippi River. And so right. that's how it's handled in, in the real world. And that's, you know, I mean, that would be the easiest solution for this. Say, no, this is where the river was when the treaty was struck. This is our line, even if the river is now 20 miles or 20 kilometers inland. Right. Right. Yeah, I would agree. I can imagine being in that town. Uh, the river was over there. Now it's over there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How do we get to work? Um, yeah. So, and that's the thing is, yeah, the Mississippi notoriously wanders all over the place. So, yeah, the as of the date sign would be the logical way for uh, Cisco to approach it. But the girl is willing to go to war, and he makes a good point with her, which is, you know, you're willing to go to war, but what about all the people who will of your people who will die in a war mm-hmm. over? this that's you know they're you, you have responsibility for their lives so, in, in particular he says she says i'm willing to die for this and his line is which is commendable i mean at least it shows she's committed yeah but he's like are, are all your people going to be as committed to dying as you are yes over this right and uh and then there's the whole thing with Nog and Jake, who, you know, we've developed this idea that they're kind of these two boys on the station who are bored all the time and getting into mischief, mostly at Nog's instigation. As the father of a of young boys who are making friends with other kids in our neighborhood, I I, I can feel for this. <laughs> they get your kids involved in things like maybe, you know, they're your friends, but not always loving the influence they have. Uh, so... Um, so it was kind of interesting to see that. And then Nog is the one who notices Varys, the, the Tetrarch, and goes gaga for her. But Jake is interesting. At first, he's not interested at all. He's like, whatever, mm-hmm. it's just a girl. It's, you know, why are you getting so gaga? Um, there will become a time later when Jake is the one who's gaga for a girl and Nog is annoyed. So th- that, will, that will come. Yeah, Jake's just more like, yeah, we'll be friends with her, but that's about it. Yes. And they don't know who she is when they see her. She's just a girl walking around. And so they they kind of they stalk her, and then um, ring the doorbell or or fight over ringing the doorbell. But then she opens the door and they kind of just wander in. 
but they basically invite her to act like a little like a a girl like a young girl as opposed to leader of her people yeah because they say like hey there's going to be a klingon ship leaving for the gamma quadrant in a little bit we can go watch the wormhole Mm -hmm. right right and she's never seen the wormhole but it it's apparently it's the way jake talks about his father that is what really makes an impression on her and leads her to more being more compromising and more willing to listen to Cisco's promptings yeah, on how to and, negotiate. Yeah. And she she kind of uses Jake at first because she goes, "Oh, Cisco, your last name is Cisco. I know a right. Cisco that I really need to learn learn more about. You can help me learn more about your dad." And this is to, of course to Nog's great annoyance. Let's not talk about your dad. <laughs> yeah. Um. Well, by the way, we get our first uh, instance in DS9 in this episode of uh, Odo's bucket with the bucket mm-hmm. prank, uh, the bucket that was so prominent in Picard season three, by the way. Uh, so, uh, but uh, Nog breaks into Odo's office, goes to steal his bucket and then spills it all over Jake uh, filled with oatmeal instead of liquid Odo, which, you know, is kind of silly. Um, but of course they get in trouble. Of course. Like, how is this yeah. not going to end badly? <laughs> this is a bad situation. <laughs> um, so, but in, in one sense, it's, it's not so much Jake that provides the solution for Varys, but Nog with his rules of acquisition, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. the ninth rule, which is opportunity plus instinct equals profit. And that's where she he encourages her to find find the opportunity in this problem, which is actually a, a good solution. Mm-hmm. I like the way they play it out because she's talking about how these other people are insisting that she give up something that they want. And Nog says, so do they have anything that you want? And yes. just immediately yep. thinking in terms of we could make a trade. This, right. And he says this may not be a problem. There is another point where Varys tells Cisco when she's being obstinate, um, you don't lose by saying no. Oh, that was the worst speech. <laughs> yes, yeah. that's not true. <laughs> yeah. It's, you, you had all this rhetoric about um, saying no and saying yes. And it's like, this has become too abstract and detached from the immediate situation. And we're yeah. just off in, in rhetoric land now. Yeah. Yeah. That was not great writing there. But um yeah, the so in in the end though, you know, she she gets we 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 get a solution and and that sort of thing and then she moves on and we never see her again, which is fine. But, yep. uh, <laughs> but so and then uh, we so to get back to the A plot, Cisco, I'm sorry, O'Brien and Bashir are have been asked to go to this village. Uh Bashir has been asked and O'Brien is just being the driver of the runabout form to um because they've gotten this message that they, there's a terrible thing happening, so there's a sickness, and the village's very existence is at stake. So, you know, we send the Federation doctor from DS9, because there are no doctors on Bajor. <laughs> well, okay. you know, this is, this is the Federation has the more advanced technology and all that kind of stuff routine. So Sure. Uh, O'Brien doesn't want to go which is kind of an interesting and what we've set up here is so Brian still thinks of Bashir as this annoying younger obnoxious sort of guy which he is that's yes. exactly how they're playing Bashir in these early seasons yes yeah. um 
but he's the superior officer, so he's going to, you know, nod, say yes, sir. And well, especially <laughs> since Cisco is is not putting up with with O'Brien's excuses, like you've got nothing going on, everything's working, go. <laughs> Father Corey, when you were in the Air Force, did you ever ever have a uh, a lieutenant who wanted to be buddies with the enlisted older enlisted guys who uh, endured him because he was higher ranking? Yeah, you, you see that. You see that, and of course, it goes the other way too. You've got enlisted that want to be buddies with with lieutenants or whatever, but mm. um, yeah, that usually doesn't work out too well. <laughs> That's what I was and they definitely don't say "call me by my first name." No, no, no. He does say, you know, he knows. You can tell that Bashir knows he annoys O'Brien, and so he's self aware enough there to know his social failings to, to some degree. Um, but he's trying hard to be friends and it, he just seems so young here. It's just kind of funny to see how young Bashir seems in this, in this early seasons. He's still like 28 or 29 in this episode. He turns 30 later on. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, interesting that they beam down to the planet rather than just land the runabout outside the village. I'm not sure what, why that would be the case unless that's, that's production. Why, that's why beaming was invented. So you don't have to land. Right. Yeah, I guess. I mean, and that's probably where it shows that this came from a TNG episode, where they would have in the TNG episode they would have just beamed down from the Enterprise. That's true. That's true. They had to get to orbit from the the station. Yeah. Um. So there was this assumption that it was a, there was a general sickness, but it turns out it's just one old man who's sick. Um. And then there's this very uh, the village leader. Mm-hmm. I don't know. He just seems. So clueless. <laughs> yeah, as do the villagers in general. They're all a bunch yep. of stock characters who are just very religious, very sincere, very wide-eyed, very innocent, very sycophantic. And mm-hmm. it's like, um, you know, it wasn't like this in medieval Europe. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, even if you have a whole society that's religious, that doesn't mean they're all wide-eyed idiots. Right. Well, I mean, there's that. It feels like there's a little bit of that subtext here. Is like the they're you know religious being led a lot a bit led astray by this religious con man who's you know using religion to con them. Um, and it's it is kind of funny. The power of positive thinking is what drives the Del Rock away. Yeah. Basically, <laughs> well, the negative thinking creates it, and the positive thinking chases it away. Yeah. I wonder if we could make it. It's it's almost like a, a a wag the dog sort of situation where you you create a common enemy out of nothing in order to unite the people essentially, mm-hmm. um, which is never. It's actually a, it's a negative propaganda ish thing. That's um, so uh, there is a little inconsistency. The Delrock is a creature that lives in the woods, except it's a cloud in the sky. I thought that was a bizarre, yeah. and it never manifests itself except for five days at the end of harvest. Yep. Right. Why? <laughs> I mean, does it just we need an annual reminder? And it's not it's just one day, end, but it's going to be five days? It's the end of harvest, and everybody's cranky because of the harvest. <laughs> um, I would prefer an Oktoberfest at that point instead of a <laughs> you know a big creature coming out. But Yes, Thanksgiving. Um, so the, the old man dies, and, so, and he... After some really bad dialogue. So one yeah. of the things they, they communicate is... You have to, in order to deal with the Dalrog, you have to tell the story, 
Well, yeah. this is a so the Sirach gets up and he tells the story, and it's the lamest story you've just about <laughs> ever heard. It's like a kid's it story. Is, <laughs> it's 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 lame for a kid's story. Yeah, I mean, it's just oh, the Bal- Dalrog is there and it hates us and it wants to destroy us, but we are strong. The village is strong, stronger than it can imagine. Okay, this isn't much of a story, dude. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Actually, yeah. they kind of poke at that with having O'Brien try to tell it and tell it just horribly badly. <laughs> once upon a time. <laughs> I, I Except for the once upon a timeline at the beginning, there's a little awkwardness to uh, the beginning of O'Brien's rendition of the story. But he actually evens out, and mm-hmm. he's not doing by the once he gets going, he's not doing markedly worse than the Syrah was. Not in terms of if you listen to what he says, right? Um, but it doesn't work for him because the plot needs it not to work for him. Exactly. Yeah. He also, doesn't have the power we, of belief. Yeah. yeah. Also, we've got this. Um, I mean, I could see based on what he says once he gets going, I could see them going along with him and. Yeah, guess what? You're the new permanent Syrah, Um, because he's not just horribly incom- incompetent and compared to the previous one. But then you've also got this assassinating underling mm-hmm. who who <laughs> just out of nowhere, I mean, he's resentful, and he out of nowhere decides to kill Miles, after which the, he tells him what's really going on. And suddenly he gains the ability to act in the final confrontation with the Dalrock. But again, it's it's very it's it's very unmotivated. They they show him slinking around, being a little resentful earlier, and then he suddenly leaps to homicide. Mm-hmm. What was his plan? Like, okay, I'll kill O'Brien, and then mm-hmm. the village gets destroyed. <laughs> yeah, no, the, the he, he becomes the Syrah again or well, whatever. Yeah, well, except he doesn't think he can be because the people won't accept him, and certainly they won't accept him if he's killed the, his you know predecessor. O'Brien, yeah, it was that was weird. I, I I think that he we're meant to understand that he realizes they won't that they won't accept and that the village magistrate is correct. Once he's O'Brien is dressing him in the Syrah's robes, and the magistrate comes in and it's like, get out of those! You have no right to wear those. And he then realizes, yeah, they're not going to accept me, right? Hmm. Whereas they might have if only I'd killed O'Brien. <laughs> That's true. So they uh they we we briefly mentioned how the villagers once O'Brien is selected they start bringing him all kinds of gifts including young three ladies. young women that was yep. disturbing I'm sorry but that was just mm-hmm. that was disturbing that was mm, uh, uncomfortable a, a, a oh, come mistake on, it's supposed to be white supposed to be wifey material of course he already had a wife but right <laughs> yeah sure. Yeah, could, I don't think they were meant to be wives. I think they were. I, I was they, being sarcastic. Because okay. <laughs> Bashir flags them as I think they're the ones offering services. Yeah. I mean, they come right out and say that. Like, wow, that's different time in the 90s. <laughs> but it's interesting that O'Brien and Cisco, I mean, O'Brien and Bashir don't just leave. Like, they're like, well, you know, obviously something's wrong. Or call in reinforcements from DS9 or something that they just kind of hang around, <laughs> you know, wait, waiting for what the situation to resolve itself somehow. Bashir was too amused in, in the whole situation to begin with. So he wasn't going to leave. And of course, O'Brien has to follow a superior officer. So, yeah, I mean, he's trying to find out what's going on. Like something's clearly is happening. It's not just a hallucination. 
something blasted those rocks, you know, the, the, and that sort of thing. So, um, the other interesting is, is this is first season still. And here's another instance of Bajorans revering a Starfleet officer as a religious figure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it kind of feels like you shouldn't go to that well again so quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, I think it, it demeans the Bajorans. It, it lessens them some, somehow if it, it makes them seem gullible or superstitious. Um, I like well, that it, the that later on in the in DS nine they take their beliefs more seriously, but here, well, it, it, yeah, it kind of falls too into the the bad anthropology of the you know, late nineteen hundreds and early two thousands, where uh, where it was or nineteenth century twentieth century, excuse me, where you know the the white man was the savior and stuff like that, and you know where they were worshipped is because they were more technologically advanced and that kind of garbage Mm. yeah this has the feel of some pretty condescending early 20th century anthropology right really both with the a plot and the b plot yep yeah yeah and i think that's one of the things that maybe subconsciously makes me dislike this one as much as as i do just because it does have that because we the federation coming into bajor as assistants but not as, you know, superior savior syndrome, the mm-hmm. imperial colony sort of thing. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, yeah, that that's one of the things that I, I, I didn't like about this anyway. Um, so it's not the people's minds that bring the Dalrock, right? It's it's the, no, it's the orb crystal. Okay, yep. and it's the Syrah who's behind it. So. What happens if the people stop believing in the the Dalrock? If they if they reject it as a real thing? Well, it I think it still keeps coming because you've got like Hovath has the little orb fragment in that final confrontation with it. He's summoned mm. it. Yeah, right. That's true. And um, it, it's they make it sound basically it's like like the ne- the negative emotions of the people are fed by the fed into the feed into the crystal, and that's what creates it. Right. So it's so, not belief in the, the Dalrock. It's the emotions of the people that cause it through this, the crystal. This is one divided village. They must have had some really bad divisions there. Oh, man. Yeah, I think I think even if it were justifiable to to enact this ruse, the time where it was justifiable would have long passed because the village mm-hmm. is no longer being torn apart by rivalries and so forth. Yeah. In theory. <laughs> so any other uh last thoughts on the storyteller, Father Corey? So the the old Syrah, the one that died, uh might look familiar. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was Kay Cooter who played the the Cytherian, Cy- Cy- the floating head in the, the 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 episode where Barkley becomes super genius and plugs into the computer. Ah. Mm-hmm. I mean he's been in many, many other things. I mean he he was an actor that was all over the you know, all collective the hierarchical command structure. Yeah. <laughs> cool. But that's what, that's, that's right. where Star Trek people would probably know him from. Right. Right. Um, cool. Uh, anything else? That's it. That's it for me. Jimmy. I like the description of the non-alcoholic beverage that, uh, that, uh, Varus has ordered, um, Trixie and bubble juice. <laughs> <laughs> it, yes. For the little lady. 
I am not yeah. a little lady. Splash. <laughs> and then it's like, I'm still charging her for that drink. It's yeah. like, of course you are. I would too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. She ordered a drink. She decided she didn't want it. She threw it at you. Minimum, she's getting charged for that drink. <laughs> not double for making him wear it. Yeah. The uh, But other than that, I'm glad it's over. <laughs> All right, good. We had been dreading this day, but now it has passed. Well, let's get to some listener feedback. I'm looking forward to that. And uh, this feedback comes from our recent discussion of Star Trek Picard Season 3. I'm uh, glad that you uh, you're I'm thankful that you're all be patient with us as we catch up to your feedback. We got tons. And so let's get started with it. The first one comes from YouTube where Martina wrote, I liked the Star Trek episode, but thought the script needed improvement in comparison to other older seasons, Voyager, Next Gen. By the acting, I'm guessing the actors might have thought so, too, as their reactions weren't as smooth as usual. The best seemed to be at the end. Okay. Um, interesting. Yeah, I, I, yeah. Uh, I certainly did think that the, uh, the ending of the season, it just got better as it went uh, from my point of view. So, yep. Uh, our next comment comes from August on YouTube, who writes, Thanks for these reviews. Picard Season 3 helped me fall in love with Star Trek again. I can only hope the powers that be will see what fans enjoyed and course correct the other shows accordingly. They better reuse that D set. Captain Riker Mm. series, anybody? In regards to Data's limerick, Robert Meyer Burnett on his episode review said that the rough cut he saw last year had Worf finishing the limerick, but Patrick Stewart had it removed because he didn't want a rude joke at the end of the series. Upcoming, Yes, right. Upcoming Blu-ray deleted scene, perhaps? Yeah. that's I a, can I can yeah. do without knowing the rest of that limerick. Yeah, but, you can uh, use your imagination. Exactly. Yeah. Terry Metalis did did say that the poker scene at the end, as the closing credits, that they actually filmed for like forty five minutes, mm-hmm. and that that likely will get released. Oh that wow! Entire forty five minute because it was just it was them ad libbing and playing. You know. Yeah. So. Yeah. Nice. Cool. I was, you know, when I was growing up, the the limerick that you always heard the first part of that would get interrupted was there was a young man from Nantucket. Yeah. And I never knew. I mean, you'd hear that referenced on sitcoms and stuff on television, and they would always get interrupted. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I, so I never, and there was no internet at the time. So I never knew what the completion of that limerick was. And then when I was in college, I was at the university movie theater and the film broke down and someone walked into the theater or something and said the full limerick. And it's like, <laughs> oh, that's what it is. <laughs> yeah. Oh. I'm from Massachusetts. So apparently we, know, we, we learned that one younger. <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, yes. So uh, it's all about rhymes. Our next. <laughs> there was a young lady named Bright whose speed was much faster than light. She departed one day in a relative way and returned on the previous night. <laughs> no, very good. Thank you for cleansing our limerick palates. Yes. Uh, Keith Wood wrote in on YouTube, Great show as always. Few thoughts, though. As far as the title, The Last Generation, I took it to mean the entire season involving the Borg, with the first episode being titled The Next Generation, i.e. the new biological instead of mechanical Borg, and the finale being the end of the line for the species. My other concern is why the Borg or her agents would destroy Starfleet Academy and it's all its potential Borg drones just to create a diversion. Seems that many students under the age of 25 would have been rather beneficial to them. 
And finally, a question. When you're watching slash critiquing an episode and you see something wrong or contradictory, do you quietly make a note of it? Or, as I do, yell at the TV? Thanks again for a great podcast. I quietly make a note of it. And if I feel really, really um, worked up, I boldface the note. Mm. <laughs> That's Savior. Uh, now, that, yeah. Yeah, I, 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 I'm kind of the same. I do, you know, write it down. And if I'm really annoyed, then yes, I yell. Sometimes even <laughs> pausing it. And, no, uh, no, I don't do that. But um, one thing to point out, it wasn't Starfleet Academy that got destroyed. It was a recruiting station that got destroyed by the portal gun. I think he er, might be referring on, but uh, space yeah. dock. Well, even more so, actually, I think he might have been referring to San Francisco when all those cities mm -hmm. were targeted and the oh. San Francisco's destroyed all of Starfleet. That's where Starfleet Academy is. Except I don't think they ever pulled the trigger on destroying no, all they those didn't. cities. No, no. They but didn't. why target it, I think, is mm -hmm. the idea. So that's that. Well, why target? I mean, just absorb half the human race anyway that's under 25. Yeah. Right, right. That part was a little more. Um, it's like in general, that was a little bit of a. It was confusing. just all the, all the cities were targeted. All the major cities were targeted. It was the, it was the point. Um, yeah. I, I was thinking he was talking about the, this comment was talking about the the uh, the initial attack with the the portal gun where they sucked the building in. Oh and yeah, that, oh, if that and, were the case, and that was yeah. a recruiting station, a big yeah. recruiting station, but a recruiting station. Yep. Uh, then our next feedback comes from Ryan via email who writes a great episode. I wish it could have been two hours long. So now they need to release the Metallus cut hashtag release the Metallus cut live long and prosper. And thank you guys for entertaining us each week. Uh, that is a reference to the release, the Nolan cut from the justice league movie, which yep. we eventually got. Um, but, uh, I don't know if it would, I think it was fine. I don't think it would be better longer. I, mean, I don't yeah, I don't. I haven't seen anything online where Metallus has mentioned that things were cut at all. If anything, yeah. the Metallus cut would be taking those last two episodes, like they did with the IMAX mm -hmm. show, and put them together, yeah. and put them together as a movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, it, it's supposed to be like a ten-part movie, anyways. So <laughs> yeah. the entire season was so right. Uh, and finally, Robert on YouTube writes: I agree that any Trek show that comes after Enterprise. Is limiting is limited to fans based on the fact that it's streaming only. I think what they need to do is after a season, six months or a year later, let networks pick it up to air. I think that's what they're doing with uh, Prodigy because it's supposed to yes. air on Nickelodeon. With In some of the been. others, they're using variable length, which they'd have to at, at a minimum do cuts for to have commercial releases. Also, I think you can, and I, I, I ran into this when I was trying to log into Paramount Plus on my computer. Um, I think you can actually watch Picard season one without it you know, for free uh, mm -hmm. if you're not a subscriber. Like, I think they were making some of the older seasons available for free as sort of a right. come on to, hey, subscribe and watch the new stuff. Um, so you might want to check that out. If it was like if you haven't seen Lower Decks or Strange New Worlds, maybe check those out. All right. Yeah, then so they have they have shown some of Prodigy on on uh, Nickelodeon already, although they haven't done the second half of the season yet. Right. All right. So that's all our feedback. We appreciate all the feedback we receive. Thank you, everyone. And we'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Trek, including Connor F, Tom W, Roger F, Derek V, and Thomas A. Their generous donations at sqpn.com/give. Make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest. 
and you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. We'd also like to thank Victor Lambs, who edited this episode. So that's it from us. We'd love to hear what you think of DS9's The Storyteller. You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash trek, our Facebook page at facebook.com slash starquestmedia. Send an email to trek at sqpn.com or visit our Discord community at sqpn.com slash discord. You can now watch The Secrets of Star Trek on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash starquestmedia, where we'd love to have you leave a comment, make sure you subscribe, and be sure to hit the bell to get notifications of new episodes. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the Voyager episode, Learning Curve. Until then, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for joining me and sharing The Secrets of Star Trek. Thank you, and live long and prosper. Father Corey Stika, thank you as well. Thank you, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, once upon a time, there was a Dalrock. <laughs>